This is Making Stitches. This week we hear from crochet designer Kerry Lord from Toft UK, who's seen her crochet creations being made around the world. The most exciting thing is, is the hashtags that have now been established for quite a few years, because even each animal, like Bridget the Elephant for example, she has her own hashtag, and you can now see thousands of Bridget the Elephants in all different um, weights of yarn, in obviously lots of people's different yarn, not just Toff yarn, you can see them um, in all colours, because not everyone wants a grey elephant like mine, so you see them in pink and lots of different colours, and you see them in all languages. Which is what, I mean, that original Edwards Menagerie book went into 22 languages, um, which is what is really exciting to me, is how global you see, um, you see those patterns go. Hello and welcome to Making Stitches, a podcast celebrating crafts and the stories of the makers behind them. My name's Lindsay and this week we'll be hearing from Kerry Lord from Toft, the crochet designer responsible for the best-selling crochet pattern book, Edward's Menagerie. Kerry's designs range from her first foray into crochet creatures with Bridget the Elephant to space monsters, enough birds to fill a very impressive aviary, crochet dolls and in time for Halloween recently, monsters, gargoyles and even the Grim Reaper. She spoke to me last week from the Toft studio in Warwickshire, which is the home to the luxury British DIY knitwear and wool company, which offers alpaca and wool knitting yarns and exclusive knitting and crochet patterns. We spoke on Thursday, the first day of our new lockdown 2.0 here in the UK, and just a day before the launch of Toft's brand new Christmas campaign, much of which was dreamt up during the first lockdown, as you'll soon hear. Despite not being a lifelong crafter, Kerry first picked up a crochet hook when she went on maternity leave, she took it to the next level, not just making a cuddly toy for her new baby, but making a whole menagerie of animals, hence the name of her first book. She began by telling me how it all got started. I've got an unusual story. Um, I've been a crafty person in terms of art and in terms of probably drawing and painting, but I wasn't a crafter. My Mum is not a knitter or a crocheter, neither are my either grandmothers at all, so it doesn't run in my blood as such like that. Um, I, my story is a bit unusual that um, my parents had heard of alpacas uh, when I grew up, so they got alpacas when I was about eight years old, and I was part of that kind of choosing alpacas and choosing the colours we were going to have. And at that point, it was very much going to be a hobby. So they were just going to be nice-looking animals that we had in the in the garden, a large garden. Um, what then happened was my parents fell in love with the animals and they turned the alpacas into a business for them. So they breed and sell alpaca livestock to other people right away um, across the UK and beyond, actually, across, across the world, they export as well. Um, and so I fell into craft through alpacas. So it was only when I had finished university that I came back to Toft, where the alpacas were then numbering about 100. And literally every nook and cranny in the house was full of alpaca fleece because their business was very successful in um, breeding and selling that livestock but they didn't know what to do with that fiber so they were shearing them every year but they were just stockpiling it knowing that it was kind of valuable and precious but not really knowing what to do with it and definitely not having the time or the inclination to take it to the next stage so I was tasked with well if you're going to live back in the house 
and you want your bedroom, then um, can you please sell this? Find someone that will buy this fibre. So that was where Top started, um, really, was me trying to find somebody who would buy all this alpaca fleece um, from me. I didn't know anything about um, knitting um, at all. I couldn't find anybody to buy the alpaca fleece, um, so no one was remotely interested, um, which I, I now see was because it was so small scale, really, compared to um, the scale that you buy wool on um, commercially. So I um, I spun it into yarn. I had no idea what I was doing, um, and actually it looks like string. We do still have some in the like Toft archive, um, and it truly the first batch of Toft yarn is string. Um, there's, there's no way I think I'd even wrap my Christmas presents with it now, um, in given what it looks like. But that's where it all started, and because it looked like string, so the actual raw fibre felt really soft to me, and I could kind of understand that. And then what I got back from the mill felt like string. I said, I'm going to have to learn. I'm going to have to learn um, what goes on here. I'm going to have to try and understand this more because even I can see how can this turn into this? And this is not a desirable product. I don't understand what you do with this. And um, so that's when I learned to knit. Um, and I learned to knit first. Um, a lovely lady taught me to knit in a one-on-one -on -one scenario. Um, I learned to knit first, and Toff then started selling hats. So um, before we ever taught a workshop or we did anything as a kit. I ran a team of home workers where I would knit, and I guess design in a very, very crude way, um, a basic hat, and then um, I'd have a team that would knit those hats for me, and then I would go out to shows and sell those hats. Um, the business then obviously completely changed. Um, but basically, a few years in, um, we went into recession, and people started to ask for the kits, as in they no longer wanted to spend £90 on a hand-knitted British alpaca hat. Instead, they said, but can I spend £30 and I'll, I'll make it myself or I'll learn to make it myself. And, and I just followed their lead. Um, and that's what brought me into, I guess, being a crafter. Um, when I learned to crochet, I truly became a crafter, I think. Like, as a knitter, I dabbled. I'm still somebody who would knit myself a hat. I did knit a hat this weekend. But I've I wouldn't ever necessarily identify as a knitter. I've never knitted a garment that I've worn, for example. Whereas when I learned to crochet, that was me. I found my thing. Um, I really enjoy crocheting. I do enjoy, even though I do it for work, I still love doing it um, as a hobby as well. So, yeah, I guess I'm more of a crochet than a knitter. Now, what you're famous for, of course, these days is um, your various books and your patterns and just the amazing, is there over 200 creatures that, and yeah. dolls that you've created? How did that come about then? So that, again, was a really, this is, um, it, it was another really lucky um, accident that I just ran with. So when I was pregnant with my son, who is now eight, so yeah, about nine years ago, um, I worked at Toft, which, by which point was a successful small business, but very much still a small business. So I had two employees at that point, myself working full-time and two other um, full-time employees. I was on my due dates for... Um, for my pregnancy and I said I'm gonna have to go home and at which point I didn't live on site I did live off site and said otherwise I'm not sure the baby's ever gonna come I'm just gonna keep working and, and it's all gonna go really wrong for us so I'm gonna have to go home so I went home and I the first two days painted my entire house I literally top to bottom the entire house and was still was still then like what do I do now and so I had yarn obviously from from the business and so I watched a YouTube video and I learned a double crochet stitch, and that was the day that I made Bridget the Elephant. Um, within within hours, as soon as I understood the concept of how fast that stitch could grow, 
how 3D it could become and how you could shape so so easily compared to knitting in terms of the decreasing. All of a sudden, I found I found my thing. So I made the elephant that day. Um, I then made over 10 more before the baby was due because he was two weeks late. So I made one a day, basically, just churned them out to keep me busy. Um, and then the rest is history, really. Um, we launched them as kits about a year later. Um, and then at the, the show, um, the Alexandra Palace Missing and Stitching show, it was when the publisher first saw the cue on our stand, basically, for these new um, crochet animals. It was back at the very beginning of crochet becoming a trend. You didn't really see... You didn't see um, crocheted animals in the way that you do now. I was right at the beginning of the trend, um, and I think that's why they've gone on to be so successful. Um, so, yeah, I am 11 books in now um, in just those, those few years. Yeah. Wow. Where do you get your creativity from? Because each book that comes out is so completely different. I mean, right down to... I was just admiring your gargoyles this morning. I mean, that's quite yeah. a jump from uh, from your elephant into a gargoyle, isn't it? Yeah, from the cute animals. I think I'm the biggest toft addict, and that's what I say to a lot of our customers when they say, oh, but I'm, I find your products really addictive. And I'm like, I'm so sorry. I'm the, I'm the most addicted. Like, that's what you need to remember is I'm the worst one. I'm not a person that particularly enjoys making the same thing twice. So I'm not, I was never going to be a sock knitter because that second sock would never get made unless I was doing them both at the same time. And so I think that's what keeps me moving and doing everything so new so quickly is once I've finished something, I'm a, well, I'm thinking of the next thing really as I'm working on it. So I jump to the next one um, and I see how much pleasure it now gives people. I think that is a massive motivation for me. Um, I'm missing the shows at the moment because obviously we haven't, and um, we haven't done these shows. I did Crufts was my last one in March. So I was lucky enough, actually, that was the week before um, lockdown began, was my last show that I did in, in March. I still absolutely love going out and meeting our customers and hearing their stories with their patterns. And that keeps me going. Um, so I take constant requests, like I do through social media as well. But um, it's so lovely in person when I'm told a story about the fact that and um, they use that pattern to say learn to crochet or to teach their daughter to crochet or that the animals are on their way to New Zealand for a new baby or I hear some very emotional stories and um, I think there's a, there's a lot of attachment to to the animals and um, I'm reduced to tears most days now uh, when we trade shows by a story that a customer shares but that really keeps me going because it's not just that it's the enjoyment of making them for me it seems to pass a lot of pleasure in the making, but also pleasure in the receiving onto other people. So I feel like it has a meaning in a different way um, than it was when I was when I was just selling hats. Certainly, um, it has a totally different meaning now um, to a lot of different people. So that keeps that keeps me going every day. That gets me out of bed. Yeah, you must have a huge community out there. You've just hit a really big yeah, milestone on Instagram. Um, yeah. definitely and the most exciting thing is is the hashtags that have now been established for quite a few years because even each animal like Bridget the elephant for example she has her own hashtag and you can now see thousands of Bridget the elephants in all different um, weights of yarn in obviously lots of people's different yarn not just tough yarn you can see them um, in all colours because not everyone wants a grey elephant like mine so you see them in pink and lots of different colours and you see them in all languages which is what, I mean, that original Edwards Menagerie book went into 22 languages, um, which is what is really exciting for me, is how global you see um, you see those patterns go. 
My word. You could, could you ever have imagined when you returned from university to all these uh, alpaca fleeces to think that this is what you would have created? Yeah, no way at all. And I just, I do count myself as so lucky every single day. Like, I'm not somebody that sat there with a business plan thinking that I wanted to be running a team this size. I am somebody who has just, who has just moved with it. And I think that's quite key to, to the success of Oft is how flexible I have been. That if an idea doesn't work and for every success that I have, there is probably an idea that gets that gets chucked out early stage or, or doesn't quite work and things that aren't as popular. Um, and I think the key to it really is me being quite accepting of that rather than being precious about it. I just accept that okay, yeah, that did, that didn't work, um, and I and I try something new. So looking, you've mentioned the fact that you haven't been able to attend any fairs this year because of what we're all going through at the moment. How has your crafting helped you personally get through this year and the difficult times we've had? So massively. Um, and I think we're about to launch our Christmas collection on um, Friday. And I've got a feeling that our customers are going to turn around and be like, oh my goodness, when everybody, when a lot of companies are obviously have struggled to put together a Christmas collection this year because it has been difficult with supply, with if you're used to working in a larger creative team, you've been working at a distance to that creative team, whereas ours is, um, I'm not ashamed to say bigger, I'm better than ever before because I've, I've personally had more time. Um, more time to craft at home. Um, my yes, I, I was juggling my children obviously through that first bit because I do have an eight-year-old and a um, four-year-old, um, so I had to juggle on. But I wasn't away working at shows. I was someone that did um, upwards of twenty shows a year, probably six of which were international. Um, so shows in Australia, shows in America every year. So I just gained all of that time back to actually be able to sit and and crochet and I've been my team have had to work so much harder than normal putting this collection together because I'll do things like say oh yeah that'll be a really good idea I'll make a king and instead of making one king I come back in on a Monday and I've made three kings and I'm like yes there we go I just it just happened I'm sorry while I was doing one I, I thought of this one um so I've been really impressed and proud of the way and um, the team have kind of supported how much bigger things like that I've got this year um, because I've needed to crochet in order to focus me, settle me, make me feel like like it's like there's going to be an end or it's all for something um, and to fill the time because it is it's so easy to spend so much empty time on social especially when I have access to an account like mine where where I could I could pour in easily 12 hours a day just talking to people about what they're making from my patterns and um, really getting involved in all of that. It's nice for me to, I still have to go back to that pressure to feel like I'm doing something valuable with that time rather than just getting sucked down that wormhole that I know we can all do so easily. Yeah, that's very interesting to hear because I think everybody's guilty of that to a certain respect at the moment, especially, at, I mean, we're just going into lockdown again today, aren't we, in England? And, and that's one way of still staying connected with people. But I find it quite hard to drag myself away and actually go back to what it is I really love doing at the end of the day, which is making. Yeah, and I've, I've had to get quite disciplined, like literally um, beyond a certain point, plugging my phone in upstairs when I'm downstairs so it's not physically near me even. And that way um, I can really be disciplined and enjoy those evenings, remembering that, that yeah, what I like to do is, is that making and that creativity. 
Now, we've, we've touched on the fact that you've a huge range of different creatures, animals, dolls and monsters and all sorts of things that you've created. What's left for you to, you know, have you run out of creative ideas or is there just, do they just keep coming to you? Um, I don't know. That question is asked of me quite a lot where people are like, but, but what will you even do next? Um, and the question is, well, I guess the answer is I'm not, I'm not a planner like that. So we I have to get a lot better. So we now work about a year ahead in terms of actually sketching and laying down those ideas. Um, so I've already got Christmas for next year sketched out by no means made. But I know what it's probably going to look like, what some of the centerpieces will be. Um, so I have had to get much, much better at that. But in terms of like the big ideas and ranges, I often myself could worry that I've run out. But, but I, to this point, seem to have been able to keep going. Just when I think an idea's gone, um, then all of a sudden one will come along. So there's a good example, actually, that happened early lockdown, which, again, I seem to spur into a massive period of creativity again in that early lockdown in March when we first went in. Um, I totally threw our plan out of the window because I crocheted a, a flower monster. So I think it's because we all spent more time in our gardens. I genuinely spent time gardening for the first time in my whole life which I've never really done and um, was looking at flowers a lot more and suddenly this idea came to me and um, the range went on to be called Crow Your Own where they're, they're all different flowers so we started with kind of popular British flowers and there's a chrysanthemum, there's daffodils um, lots like that and that collection went on to be our best selling top collection of the whole year um, so far 2020 and it went from idea to being released within a matter of weeks and it was not in our plan at all. Um, so I am still somebody that very much is hoping that the ideas will just keep coming for now. Um, I'm lucky to be someone that doesn't lose sleep about things like that, whereas I can see how it would be so easy to think, oh my goodness, is it going like, to run out? Um, I think it's, again, key to that flexibility and to... Um, Often challenging situations will produce those results for me. So the Crow Your Own, actually, a lot of it was to do with our yarn supply as well. So our mill, all of our yarn is made in the UK and in Yorkshire, and our mill was closed for two months um, during the first lockdown. And so we ran out of yarn. We ran out of colours. And so I was having to change the way that I was designing and making, even from the plan, to make sure that I wasn't being frustrating in terms of releasing something that we didn't then have the colours for. So for, for me, I think I quite I thrive in a challenging scenario like that, where I'm like, well, we have this idea, but you've only got brown. So, so here you go, three shades of brown. What are you going to release in brown and green? And then all of a sudden, something new as an idea might come from that. Um, so I'm feeling... I'm lucky, I think, that at the moment I feel I have ideas. I do have a, t a creative team around me as well. They all knit and crochet, um, and they've obviously had a lot more time on their hands as well. So they all have ideas and will share ideas. And while we're packing parcels, which I will definitely be doing a lot of in the next few weeks, um, we often discuss ideas like that, and we can beat them around between us until we get somewhere. It sounds like you've got a winning formula there at Toft at the moment anyway. No, I think we have got a winning we have got a winning formula. It's been very different for us trading through this time because we usually obviously had all the shows and we were usually open to the public. So we taught people face to face workshops every weekend and we had a shop that was open. Um, 
I've decided, and we had already made the decision to stay closed for the rest of this year anyway, um, just to make it easy, easier for us to function, because obviously we are having to function at social distance, so everything that we did one space before, we now need three times as much space to do the same thing in. Um, so that has been that has been a challenge, but the team itself, we we seem to have adapted really well to working via video. Um, we do videos every morning with the whole team together, even those that are still working from home, and, and we seem to have got into quite a good rhythm um, creatively, even though we're working under this different environment. And when you when we release this Christmas collection, I honestly think it's the best one we've ever done. Right way down to the photography is better. The whole lot. Everyone's just really in embraced it and enjoyed it we all we all wanted to get cheered up by christmas uh, right away from back in june i think yeah well, I think what you're doing is incredibly important and I'm sure there's going to be an awful lot of people out there who will be, you know, absolutely desperate to get their hands on your new Christmas collection because we all do need something to look forward to and something to keep us busy and maybe take our minds off the bigger things that are going on outside our front door. Yeah, definitely. I think yeah, we're, all, we're all there together. Well, I hope you enjoyed my chat with Kerry as much as I did. I was thrilled when she said she'd like to go on the podcast and I'm really grateful for her time ahead of the big Toft Christmas launch. It just goes to show that with a bit of determination and support and being in the right place at the right time, the sky's the limit. If you'd like to see Kerry's creations, including the new Christmas patterns, which include the cutest crochet three wise men I've ever seen, head over to the Toft UK website. Thank you very much, Kerry, for speaking to me for Making Stitches podcast. And thanks to you too for listening. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please consider liking, subscribing, or even leaving a review on your favourite podcast app. Jeannie with the light brown hair in the UK and Dai Suki to you in the United States both did just that recently on Apple Podcasts. Thank you both very much. That's all I've got time for this week, but all being well, I'll be back again in two weeks' time with another episode of Making Stitches featuring another inspiring maker. My name's Lindsay and this podcast was recorded and edited by me. You can also find me on my blog, Postcard from Gibraltar. Thanks again for listening and until next time, keep safe and enjoy your crafting. Music